Alright, welcome to a very special episode of Brainstorm Kitchen. I am, of course, always joined by my co-host, Logan, from the Flavor Lab. Hello. <laughs> and today, we have a very special guest, um, Tess Middlebrook. Say hi. Hello, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, and, um... Again, I'm sure m many people will be much more familiar with what you do than this podcast. But for anyone who doesn't uh, know, why don't you talk a little bit about your work? Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I am a food producer for Good Mythical Morning. It's a show on YouTube. Uh, starring Rhett and Link, and I get to make food, you know, happen, and I get to cook a lot, and I also get to be in front of the camera, which is something I'm very passionate about as well, and um, I have a background in comedy and in cooking, so um, when this opportunity came, it just kind of worked out, and so here we find ourselves, and yeah, that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. And yeah, for anyone who's not familiar, again, you pulled off some really crazy stuff. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess my first question would be, like, again, um, how long have you been doing that? Because I know they've had sort of food-related uh, segments for a while now. So when did you start doing their stuff? When did I start doing food? Uh, no, uh, working for Good Mythical Morning. Oh, um, I came on in September, right before the GMM 22 expansion. Oh, nice. Before they started doing their longer format. Um, yeah, that's a short answer. And you mentioned you have a background in food. Did you just always like it as a hobby or did you like do culinary school like what, what's your background well my mom um when i was growing up she worked a lot and so i um was often you know at home left to my own devices and i started cooking out of um just curiosity and need to be fed <laughs> um so uh that's kind of how it started. And, um, in high school, I had a small catering business. Uh, it was just a word of mouth thing that my mom kind of encouraged. And I catered a wedding and a couple of baby showers. And and then I, I kind of felt like I knew a lot about food. And then um, I was also acting then. And I went to New York um, to get Stella Adler, which is a... Uh, acting conservatory and um, I was 19 so I was pretty immature at the time and I didn't I wasn't really ready to you know go through the acting exercises so um, I just thought they were kind of like lame and weird I felt uncomfortable and um, so I started cooking I got an opportunity to do a stage at um, WD50 and um, a stage is like a uh, it's like a shadow. You can you you cook for a day, and so 
Um, so I, I did about a week stage and, um, and then the chef came over to me and, you know, asked me if I liked working there and he hadn't spoken to me the whole week, you know, the only conversation I had with him was, should I stay or should I go? And so, um, I ended up staying for almost a year there and Wiley basically taught me everything I needed to know, uh, how to work in a kitchen, you know, um, you know, how to, you know, work clean and how to break stuff down. And, you know, I, I had to deliver like, um, a Brunois, um, every day at three o'clock. Um, they were really tough on me, but he invested his, um, energy in me and he's always been, um, my chef. Uh, you know, there, I think as uh, every cook, when they come up, there's your first chef is always like your chef because, they mentor you and there's always going to be that inferior relationship that I have with him. Um, it's just the way it is. He was my mentor. And so, uh, I shouldn't say inferior, but I'm definitely a subordinate. <laughs> um, um, and so then after that, I, I, you know, I cooked, uh, for Mario Batali at, um, Lupa Austeria Romana on, uh, uh, Bleecker street between, uh, Thompson and Houston. No, it's on Thompson Street between Houston and Bleecker and in the Soho. And um, and then I went to go work for uh, Kurt Gutenbrenner, who's a German uh, um, chef. He has uh, like three or four restaurants now in New York. Um, and that I learned a lot about Austrian cuisine. Um, and then that's where I really started working my own stations. I worked a station at for Mario as well. Um, uh, at Garmage, but I started working, you know, saucier and poissonier and Garmage more at, um, at Kurtz. And I learned about terrines and, and, um, you know, Garmage is like the most prep in any kitchen. It's always like very prep heavy, but the kitchen environment just wasn't for me. Ultimately it's, um, there's a, you know, there's a hierarchy. It's very repressed and you're, um, not encouraged to, be, uh, you know, yourself, at least you weren't, you know, 10 years ago when I was cooking in New York. So, um, I just, I wanted to perform. I'm a performer. And, um, so I left when I was about 25 and I started studying acting and I started studying comedy at UCB and, uh, I've been doing comedy and supporting myself financially with cooking, um, <clears throat> ever since. So I, and then I've, you know, I've done some restaurant consulting and I, I was an instructor at a culinary school in Los Angeles, and I've been teaching cooking classes for um, the last five years, I'd say. So when this uh, opportunity came about at, you know, Good Mythical Morning, it was kind of a perfect uh, mix of what I wanted to be doing. Does that make sense? It's a long answer, but... Yeah, no. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, so just, just to clarify, was your first... Big culinary job, a stage at WD50. Yes. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize at the time, but like I have friends that I have, you know, kept um, since then. My girlfriend Dana, um, and she was staging at the same time that I was, and that's. You know that's where we met and she at the time she was like how did you 
how did you get on the list to stage? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, I've been on a wait list for like six months from my culinary school to get on, <laughs> to get a stage here. And I was like, oh, well, my brother knew the tournoi. And so she just went out on a limb for me and I started there. So I got lucky. I knew someone in the kitchen. I mean, that's, that's, pretty cool. that's, that's how you got to do it, right? That's awesome. So, yeah. so I kind of I have a kind of question about the. You said it was kind of not repressed. Maybe it's like it's restrictive, working in kind of the culinary field. Um, could you like maybe talk a little bit more about that? Because I mean, so I just to clarify, like both Quinn and I are not from professional cooking, but at least I'm not from a professional cooking background by any means. And uh, I, I I'm kind of curious about this. Um, what's this actually like in in reality? I mean, is it as stressful as it always seems uh, from what you experience on television or is this just overrated or? Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's just stressful and, uh, it's not overrated. It's, it is very much prevalent in kitchen culture and, um, it's really hard to explain. Like you can't really explain it until you experience it, but, um, there's a sense of urgency that, um, is, very much um, put in high regard in the kitchen. So if you don't have that sense of urgency, you don't last. And, okay. Um, and you have to be willing to be talked down to and have to be willing to um, uh, be condescended to and, and also not let that affect your work and not take it personally and um, just put up with it. I mean, there's no other really way because when you're really stressed out, um, sometimes, you know, I'd say in most situations, it's just a mismanagement of emotions. So when you have like a lot of tickets on the board and there's a lot of food that needs to go out, um, the person who's running the pass is under a lot of pressure. So, and that puts everyone else under pressure, you know, it's almost like a rippling effect. Okay. And, um, so when you have someone on the line who is moving slowly and is, um, you know, kind of just, and also, but doing their best, um, if they are moving, you know, slowly and, and their food is not perfect every time, then the person running the pass or the chef de cuisine will be, um, very hard on that person in front of everybody else. They don't care. Uh. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's nothing personal. It's, um, it's, uh, which is to say, you know, that person it's needs just, to it's normal. Move yeah. faster. Yeah. It's just, how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you, how do you come to that point where, I mean, so I've had maybe experience like this before in, in my job, um, but it's a completely separate thing, but I've always, I've kind of wondered about this, how, how you get to the point where you're just able to just be like, yep, I'm getting yelled at. Everything's fine. It's cool. Uh, I can move on past this. It's not going to affect my work. I'll take this to heart without, I mean, did you, did, was, there, was there a struggle for you for, you know, for a few months or something to figure this out? Or was this kind of, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's why I was, why I left. I mean, I'm not there anymore. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So fair enough. This is, that was not, um, that was not who I am. I'm, you know, I, I have a background in improvisational comedy. And so I've been doing that for like 10 years and, um, more than I've been cooking. And so 
I left for that reason because it was, it's just the opposite of what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to yeah. like play and like, you know, write sketch comedy and, um, and like, this was just, it was awful. I mean, but for the first couple of years, you just get used to it. I mean, it's cause everyone gets yelled at, um, yeah. everybody, um, and some chefs single people out. I mean, I've had things thrown at my head. I've oh my had gosh. like, I've been <laughs> burned by other cooks that are trying to sabotage my station. Oh my I've God. been, I've like the sexual harassment. It was, if I told you, you'd be like, just I shocked. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a different, a very different world. So it's very hard, like, um, you know, to make a, that transition from that world to, um, you know, just even being yeah. a food, even being a food producer, because I mean, even when I'm on set with Rhett and Link, like we have, it's a mini service that we're doing every time we go to set. So we have to make sure we have all of our mise en place, that we have the timing right, that the food is going to be hot. It's that alone is very stressful. And so I feel like maturity comes into play because you have to know how to manage your emotions. You can't dump on other people. And even though every time we come to set, there's a cavalcade of producers flooding your, our station because art and food, those two things, they are, um, they're action oriented, meaning like you can't just type something up and print it out and give someone a script. You actually have to like make food that's tangible and producers, they can't do that. So they're waiting on us to like, just hope, you know, hope and pray that we deliver. In the beginning, it was kind of like that, but now, you know, I've earned their respect and they know that I'm on my game. So is it, in some ways, is it easier to deal with professional chefs or producers in this case? I mean, I guess you do, like you said, you had a uh, experience with, with acting and, and whatnot, but um, I mean, is there, <laughs> in comparison though, you'd much rather be in this situation, I'm guessing, or it sounds like from... Yeah, because, you know, I have a professional background, so I mean, I'm often not happy with a lot of stuff that I do, but compared to this the studio and you know the crew they they're like elated because they don't have a frame of reference whereas like because they're not cooks so yeah. i i always have to keep that in mind you know um but i'm constantly trying to prove myself um i think as anyone should be you know i think the second we get comfortable um is when we stop innovating and we stop trying to to change things and learn. So Fair I enough. try to keep myself on my toes like that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons, obviously, I read show, because, I mean, I was seeing some of the stuff you were able to pull off on the show, and it was really impressive, and it, it must be nice, because I know, again, my, I don't have a formal food background at all, but, um, well, one, I've consumed pretty much every piece of uh, cooking-related content, in the on the internet and uh my brother was in the formal culinary world so it must oh, yeah. be it must be nice because again and basically unless you're at the top you don't get that kind of creative freedom that i'm sure you you were able to do on the show right <laughs> um i do i you mean do i have the ability to derail the show sure no, no, if I don't not derail, so, <laughs> it, it must be nice uh, working for Rent and Link, 
you have yes. way more creative freedom than you would yes. in the again in in the food world unless you're the head chef. You basically don't get creative that's control, right. right? No, that's that's very true. Um, you don't have any license for to be creative. I mean, you might be able to like you know add something to a dish given um, your chef's permission or you know, if you're coming up with a dish, try new things, but you're really, um, you're really kind of a, a surf, even if you're, <laughs> even if you're a sous chef, you don't really have all the control. I guess it's, it's all relative though. It depends on the size of the restaurant. Cause if it's a really big restaurant, usually the sous chef and the chef de partie and the chef de cuisine, they all kind of come up with dishes together. But, um, in this case, it's really wonderful working for Rhett and Link because um, we do get to be creative. And, you know, I like to come up with pitches. Excuse me. Oh, oh I need to get some coffee. Um, I need to, I like coming up with pitches with the writers because I'm, a, you know, I'm, I, I'm first a, a performer and a comedian and I'm second, I'm a chef. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, cooking is something I've always just been good at. And so, um, and I say that without trying to be conceited. I'm just, I just have, I've always followed my instinct and I cook from my heart and I cook from my gut and I always, you know, and I do the same thing with comedy, but um, I feel like uh, it, cooking is very meditative and um, I love to be in that unknown space. That's why I love comedy so much is because you're in that unknown space and you have to make it work and so when I'm working with writers on Good Mythical Morning or you know working with Rhett and Link there's a lot of that unknown and or Stevie will request something and I'll just say yeah sure we'll, we can do it I mean sometimes I say no because my job is also to manage ex manage expect expectations um, I never want to pitch something I don't, I know I can't do, or I never want to, cause they, that might be a choice that they have, they will make. Um, and I don't want to give someone a choice at all that I know I can't execute like a hundred percent. And so I do push back sometimes, but for the most part, I think I often, I think I say yes too much. Um, and, and so I've been trying to say no more. <laughs> hey, hey, would, you, would you mind sharing maybe one of the ideas that they requested that either didn't make it or that you did say yes to, but you inside, you were like, uh, how do I do this? Oh my gosh, almost every day. Are you kidding? Um, what, what's one that stands out? One that stands out. I'm trying to think when I first... Um, when I first got there, um, there was a, uh, there was a Willet jerky when I was first there. Um, I can't remember what we decided not to go with, but I guess, well, you know what, when we did the, um, Clatoon Patty Frog, um, for Star Wars. Yeah. That was one of my favorite episodes because I got to, I love building stuff. I come from a background of artists. My brother is a kind of a famous artist and he's done very well for himself. 
and my dad is an artist. He's a sculptor. Um, and my mom's a designer. So I'm, I have visual spatial and like building, uh, skills (laughs) and I just love to build stuff. I'm always trying to get Stevie to let me build something out of food. Um, and so when I got to do the patty frog, I was at first very worried that I wasn't going to be able to, um, pull it off and, um, you know, but I, I, what I did was I just did a lot of research and I, you know, I made a kind of a, um, a PowerPoint presentation with like different images of, um, the star Wars, uh, like franchise that had to do with the patty frog. And, and then I did some images of cake and fondant and stuff. And, um, and then it just kind of worked out, but I can't think of anything that I have done that didn't really work out i try to forget those ones (laughs) (laughs) try to bury them (laughs) that's that's funny yeah yeah so uh, so yeah i mean i I forget i remember on instagram a while ago you posted a photo of warm broth did that ever get into anything i don't remember okay yeah so um that was from the patty frog um trying to okay here's something that didn't work out so we were trying to make um, the blue milk um, that Natalie Portman carries in that shot. I don't know what it, I think it's dewback milk. I don't really know. Um, so we were trying to make it, and I read that if you take blue, if you take garlic and let it kind of um, sit out after you cut it, it will turn blue. Oh yeah, fermented so, garlic can turn can turn blue. Yeah. Yeah, so we tried to do that, but we just didn't have any time. A lot of the challenges with this show is um, that we don't have a lot of lead time. You know, I have zero time for episodes, sometimes 12 hours to prepare. And I mean, that's 12 hours to make like, you know, 12 different types of food. And it's, that's a lot. So it's a lot of shopping. It's a lot of coordination with my team. Um you know, but luckily I have a wonderful team, so it works out. Um, but the, the actual, um, the, the blue garlic, it, it didn't work. And so I ended up just dyeing the milk, the goat, um, I think it was yak milk or goat's milk. I can't remember. We dyed it blue and, um, and they were, they were, I mean, Link didn't even know about that. Stevie was the one I was communicating with, um, for the most part about that one. But that's something that didn't work out at all. <laughs> oh, the worm broth. Um, and then, so the worm, what I, the, you asked about the worm broth, right? So the worm broth, um, we, the patty frog had like these long earthworms that were hanging from the bodice. I looked it up and they did use um, earthworms to, um, to dangle from this creature on, on the set of Star Wars. So I was like, Okay, well, I can do that. No problem. And so I got all these worms from uh, Fish Bait and Tackle, and my assistant got glow worms. So um, they were like kind of, they were like kind of this green shade, and I really liked the, how green they were. And so um, I ended up, we had to kill them. So I boiled them, and the stock was neon. And <laughs> I was like, I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. It was like this neon 
green stock. So I took a picture of it. Um, I, ne I ended up not using it in the blue milk, but I did test it to see if I could get a hue of the milk to be neon and it, it didn't read well. So that's what that taste. was. What was that? How did the worm stock taste? Oh, I didn't taste it. I don't know. Oh, come on. No, no way. Not even close. I am not I, a fan of tasting weird things. Well, that, that, was, mean, that was my other question. You have to cook a lot of weird stuff for the show. Was that a big hurdle? Like, how much experience from your cooking uh, life have you had with, like, blood or bugs or stuff like that? Um, I had had none. I don't have any experience. But the thing is, is when you work in um, a professional kitchen, you you learn a lot of it's it's all taken very seriously. The killing of of animals, and um, you really want to respect the uh, and honor that life of that um, creature. So, um, you know, when I you know, the first time I had to kill lobster. Um, it was very, very difficult and I cried. I mean, it's, it's really hard to take the life of something that's moving in your hand. That's, that's really the, what it is. And if you're killing a rabbit or a chicken or a lobster, you know, it's moving in your hand and then it stops moving. So that's, um, or sometimes it's even twitching, which is awful. Um, and it, it doesn't, it gets a little easier, but not by much. And so, uh, Rhett and Link actually talked to me about that when I first interviewed for um, for my job. Um, they said, are you okay working with gross stuff? And I said, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. That's part of the job. And you just, it's, you just can't be um, grossed out by it. I mean, sometimes, yeah, when I'm working with pig intestine and, um, you know, something like that, it's, it's difficult, but... Um, it, I'm just not grossed out by it. So why didn't you honor the worms by tasting the stuff? Yeah, I don't know because <laughs> I feel like worms are uh, <clears throat> they are a, some, you know they're 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 you know they're mass produced. They were probably farmed. I don't know. I mean, also, I think that the fact that it was glowing neon might be like a little bit of a I don't know. I would I would be also kind of uh, doubtful to try that if it's a glowing neon green. Uh, uh, I, but I mean, I would feel compelled to at least taste it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get some now on your own. You can find a nice little yeah. I guess I'll, I guess I'll try and film yourself. Find yeah. some glowworms at the bait store. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't like. No, sometimes, obviously, again, the sort of uh, joke is that you're putting normal food into sort of a weird form, like with the Will and Jerky episode. What's, like, the the food that you transformed that, that either tasted really gross or surprisingly good? I'm sorry, question? Yeah, like, when you, like, for example turn a normal food into a jerky or when you just put it in a weird um like transform it what tasted yes. surprisingly good what tasted surprisingly good um uh well actually the macaroni and cheese jerky wasn't bad 
Um, and then the pizza meatloaf was actually really good. Yeah, that um, did look good. <laughs> I still haven't even watched that episode. Um, that's a I like need to find more time to watch uh, the show. I'm always working on it, so it's it's so hard. But um, I I'm trying to think what tasted surprisingly good. Honestly, I mean, sometimes it's really I'm I have a very I'm a very picky eater, and it takes a lot to impress me. So. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say not much. Like, <laughs> it's all very, uh, you know, because if you think about it, I have one dehydrator and I'm dehydrating like 12 different things in the same dehydrator. And one of those things might be cat food um, and like tarantula um, larvae. So those things might infect the taste of the other things in the dehydrator. I mean, I'm that's, that's the reality of the situation. It's all smoke and mirrors, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I just, I wonder if there, if there was anything where you made something weird, and then you're like, wow, like, this is really good. <laughs> we have something that's coming out that hasn't come out yet that um, I can't share with you oh. that I'm thinking of because it was so recent. But um, nothing before that, I would say, what are the other Willets we did? We did... The jerky, the meatloaf. Um, what was the one that we did? Oh, there was a Christmas tree. That wasn't an edible, will it? <laughs> I think that was it. But the um, Josh is really good with, like, you know, helping. Like, he likes to taste gross stuff. But he likes eating processed food. Like, I can't stand it. And so if we're in the kitchen, he usually does the tasting sometimes I'll taste stuff but for the most part I'm like I do not want to taste that because I know it's been dehydrating with like something awful you know fair enough fair sense. enough I, I can see that <laughs> um can I ask a question about something you touched on earlier with uh the construction and building that you like to do with with food um I mean so uh is there really kind of a technique at least in my experience when I've tried to do stuff like this it all it always looks like it's going to stand for like you know, 30 seconds and then everything, like everything's fine and then it just completely is absolutely falling apart after that. Um, is, have you <laughs> have you had this experience? Is this something that you've learned to get past and be able to like do some real food engineering to make stable construction so they don't they don't fall apart? Is this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think, it, you know, coming from a, a sculpting background with my dad, you know, being on and he he installs huge like marble um, uh, you know, public site art and like, um, he has to usually use a crane, but though every time he builds something, um, he always has a, the foundation or the core of what he's building has a, like a steel rod kind of running through the center of it. And then after that, he can kind of add to it. So I've kind of taken that with me. If I build anything, um, I want to, uh, put, I want to make sure the the center of grab it has a center of gravity is stable, and um, you know, and and kind of worry about what it looks like later. You get get your your main frame like you know running so to speak, and then just kind of add to it and tweak it, and then make it look pretty. But you can't really you can't make something look pretty if you can't get it to stay yeah, you know standing. Enough. Yeah, fair so enough. That's kind of what I, <laughs> 
the rule of thumb I've used in the past. Okay, yeah. Well, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a really good like thing to have in the back of the mind of, of just being able to have the framework in mind when you're building it. Wait, but, hold uh, on. Logan, you can't make that work and you're a physicist? Like, come on. No, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I absolutely cannot. <laughs> I, I'm a very bad physicist. <laughs> no, um... Okay, yeah. Um, another question, just talk going back again to something else you were talked about, um, about how you're kind of a picky eater and stuff. Have since you've started, um, since you've started culinary school when you were younger, or not culinary school, but working in in kitchens and actually um, getting stuff done. Do you kind of now look at restaurants differently from a perspective, and you're kind of like, yeah, I could cook this better, or you know, I kind of, it, is it become harder for you to be able to appreciate good food, or is it? Do you get a better appreciation for better food now? Or how has it, like, changed your views of eating, I guess? Um, I would say that, like, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I, I have a, I have a, a, a greater appreciation, appreciation for really good food. And um, that's what my husband and I like to do. We like to just go out to, um, well, we like to find restaurants that uh, we're interested in and we want to try and then go and check out the food. But, um, I have a really hard time eating bad food, um, Fair enough. <laughs> you know, because it's just a matter of, um, you know, lacking, it, it lacks a soul. It lacks, um, if food is lacking in, in heart and soul, it usually tastes like shit. So, um, and I, I, you can tell when you eat something if someone, you know, gave a damn when they were making it. So I guess that's the best way to say, um, you know, my opinion of food. I, I want to go um, eat a dish where um, I care a little bit because the person who made it cared a whole lot about it. Yeah, it's almost as if the more you get experience or know about food and cooking, the more, like, polarized your views of, of food are, because good food is, like, the best thing, and then bad food is, like, the worst thing, right? Yeah, Whereas and also, like... if you don't like, know, it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, and also, like, if you, um, you know, it's, it's just the same, the, the same for me as, like, watching a, a film, you know? All you want to do is just ca just care a little bit about what's going on. And so it's the writer's job and the actor's job to make you care. And it's the same thing for, uh, for eating with, with me. I just want to just give a shit a little bit about what I'm eating. Like, make me interested. And if someone put their heart into it, then that will happen. But if not, it's just, uh, I want to change the channel kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. And uh, earlier, briefly, you mentioned... Um teaching cooking do you still do that sometimes or what no i don't have any time i mean um the show is kind of all consuming so um but i don't you know teaching was never something that i was passionate about it was just a source of income to support my acting career um and so yeah i i loved i loved to teach but it wasn't something that i could sustain for um for the rest of my life because it was just you know it, it after a while it's um you know you're doing the same thing over and over again and um people have this you know reverie for you but 
and that's great. But, you know, I felt, I found myself wanting more, you know, I really, I really want to, um, you know, perform and, and cook and not kind of teach people how to cook. It's exhausting. At the end of the day, you're not going to do a big, um, weird beef jerky course. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you have any uh, places that you have traveled to or like do you have food destinations or when you go on vacation or go somewhere? Is this like something that you really look at and like, I really want to try this place or I want to like experience this? Is this something that when you travel, you, you really as a more professional food person uh, try to do or? Um, yeah, I absolutely like when we. My husband and I, when we travel, we uh, always keep the 50 best lists in our in our phones, and we try to hit at least one or two restaurants on the list um, when we go. We just got back from Isa Franco in Slovenia. Um, that was, like, one of the best meals I think I've ever had. Um, when we were in Czechoslovakia, we went to Degustacion, which was, like, hands down the, the greatest experience it was like i think like a 16 course tasting menu and i got the juice pairing and my husband got the wine pairing and they had like 16 juices for every course it was just such a triumph of work and love and i just like i really enjoyed that um but i really need to go i want to go to thailand that's our next place we want to go we want to do all the food in thailand so um, fair enough yeah, we'd be kind to- of brave there if you want to do the street food, though. Yeah, well, we go to Italy um, about twice a year because my husband's Italian. So uh, it's, but it's, I love it. I'm very lucky. That's pretty cool. Is there any particular, so besides Thailand or is, in Thailand, is there something specific that you'd be interested in? Like, like I really want to try this or I really want to do this street food or is there a specific restaurant? Or- um, I just want to, immerse myself in this the what kind of food they're making um by uh you know by hand like i'd love to go on a fishing boat in thailand and see what kind of uh, stuff the locals come up with just with what they have i'm very much into sustainable um rustic uh cooking like for i'm into that and i'm also into like i like to go to a fine dining restaurant and see what they're doing I always learn, but my the favorite food I like to eat is very rustic and unpretentious um, cooking. I mean, yeah, it's soul food. I mean, yeah, sometimes that's nice, just simple or at least with just really good ingredients. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Okay, um, so yeah. I guess big question. Obviously, it sounds like you've been to a lot of amazing restaurants, but it, what what's like the next big one? Like, are you gonna Go to Massimo's or what? Um, well, actually, we've been to Massimo Batura's place. Um, oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> we <laughs> we were uh, we didn't I, we weren't able to go to the big restaurant because we weren't we couldn't get a reservation, but we did go to the the Francescana, the the sister restaurant in in Modena because my husband's family lives like an hour and a half from Modena, so um, we're gonna go probably check that out in summer and then the other one i really want to go to is central in um in lima that's my oh, next yeah. big restaurant excursion awesome. but 
we're basically going to be going to Peru to go to a restaurant. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, mean. that's the the next biggest one I want to go to, and then there's, um, there's a one in Paris, um, Arpege. I want to oh, go yeah. to Arpege. Hey, can I come along? That all sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. You'll be um, in my thoughts when I meet uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> well set up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, um, that's sort of the only, the only things that come to mind for me. Morgan, did you have any other questions? No, I think that's actually, this might be a good place to maybe end so that we can, you can, you can go ahead and get your coffee and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was really um, awesome, though. So it was a really awesome to talk to you, and actually also just to get the perspective of somebody who's gone through restaurants and also what it's like to work in in sort of a real more professional YouTube environment. So it was really nice to talk to you. Well, it was really nice to talk to you guys, and thank you so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, send me a link when it comes out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Again, I'm sure maybe sometime down the road we can uh, have you on again if something cool comes up. Sure, I'd be happy to.